Well, this morning we're heading into part two of personal responsibility. And last week, if you remember, I wanted to talk about kind of the, the theological fallacy of two prevailing attitudes in today's society, two of them that just drive me absolutely bonkers. And the one that we talked about was that everybody, everything going on in my life is somebody else's fault. You know, we want to blame our parents, we want to blame our boss, we want to blame the government, we want to blame our neighbor. It's always somebody else's fault for what's going on in our lives. And as we looked at, that's just not biblically sound. The truth is, the devil's not even responsible for most of the bad stuff in your life. It's just you. And the other attitude that we dealt with is, is this entitlement attitude, this, ad, this idea that I'm owed something. And, and the truth is, we've been even training our kids that way because now they play sports and, and everybody's a winner. Everybody gets a ribbon. There's no winners or losers. And, and they go into life thinking that they're owed something, that they need to get a trophy for every single thing that they do. And I feel like that this actually, this, this two-part message straddled the new year. It was kind of a good thing. Because how many of you know most of us have made New Year's? Who, who made New Year's resolutions? Really? I did, but I did things a little bit differently this year. I don't remember if I told you guys last week or not. But I want to, to, to lose about 30 pounds. I want to lose more, but that's my, that's my starting goal. And normally, like, I resolve I'm going to eat better. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And that's where we leave it at. There's no accountability. There's no responsibility. And, and you know, by January 3rd, we've already fallen off the bandwagon and, and nothing works. So I've, I've set up a consequence for myself. And... Uh, most of you guys that know me, I'm an IT guy, I'm a tech nerd, I got a really nice computer and can't afford to replace it. So I, there's a guy at work that, uh, that I've told that if I don't reach my goal weight in six months, it's 30 pounds in six months, I'm giving him my computer. So that is my responsibility. So I am, I am highly motivated <laughs> to lose some weight. So, and uh, uh, yeah, they, they say that humans are motivated by consequence much better than reward. So I'm going to... Uh, not lose my computer. So six months, I'll be 30 pounds lighter or more. So uh, pray for me, because otherwise I'll be borrowing your guys' computer in six months. God, I got a message to write. need to borrow your computer. <laughs> so last week we talked about, though, it's, it's, it was the theology. What does the Bible say about these things? And, and we learned that, one, no, you're not owed anything. You know, Paul said that uh, if, if you want to eat, you need to work. And we also learned that uh, we have our own personal responsibility for what's going on in our life. So today, though, is going to be about the practical application. What does that actually look like in our lives? And how can we ensure that we are taking responsibility for our own actions and, and making sure that we are, are, are just being accountable and responsible? You know, I once heard a preacher say that, our, that the greatest ability that we have is our responsibility. It's our ability to respond. And that's what today is about. That's what this is all about, is how do we respond to what's going on in our life? Do we take responsibility for what's happening in our life, or do we blame somebody else? Do we actually have some dignity and make sure we're doing the right thing, or do we, or do we expect somebody else to pick up everything for us? So today I want to talk about that responsibility that we have today. One of the, the first responsibilities we have is to guard what has been entrusted to us. I think this is probably your number one primary responsibility that you have. In 1 Timothy 6, 20-21, Paul says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irrelevant babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. 
we have a responsibility to guard the gospel in our lives and what we allow to influence us. You guys hear what I'm saying? We have a responsibility to guard what we allow to influence us, to guard the gospel that is in our hearts. We have to be careful of what we let into our head. And I'm not even just talking about you know, the, the junk that's on TV nowadays or, or any of that stuff. I'm talking about who we allowed to minister into our lives, who we allowed to preach into our lives. In 2 John 1, 9 through 11, it says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. That's a tough statement. We have to be careful about who we allow to minister to us. And this doesn't mean be a jerk. If someone's bringing the wrong thing, you know, one of the, the, the things that comes to my mind when I read this, every time I read this, is, is, is when the Mormons come knocking on your door. What are we supposed to do? Because they, they have some false teaching. Uh, the, the primary concern that we have is, is they don't believe that Jesus was God. They don't believe, and that, that's kind of a problem. They don't believe in the same Jesus that we believe in. And, uh, and, and I don't want to disparage the Mormons. You know, there's a lot, there are a lot of great people that are Mormons. And the truth is, there's a lot of things that we could learn from them. Like how to take care of your family, how to, to do those kind of things. They're, they're, they have very good ideas there. But the truth is, if we allow them to come in and minister to us, there's a possibility they could sway us. They could sway you from the gospel. And like I said, it doesn't mean be a jerk. I don't mean when someone comes up to you on your doors and preaching something that's not aligned with the scripture to slam your door in their face and start cussing at them. What I mean is just be careful about who you let to speak into your lives. And there's two ways that this kind of stuff happens that, that kind of influence us. One is, is don't listen to false religions. And the thing about that, the reason why we don't want to listen is because the thing about people that are putting together persuasive arguments is they're usually pretty good. They put them together in such a way that you go, well, that sounds just about right. And there's a problem with that, particularly for the second, the second way that you can be influenced, the primary way actually, is if you don't know your word. Because if you know your word, if you're solid in the scriptures and you know what the word of God has to say, when somebody comes speaking nonsense to you, you know how to discern what is truth and what is not. But if you don't, the best thing you can do is not let people speak to you until you get to that point. 1 John 4.1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false, many false prophets have gone out into the world. You need to test everything that's being spoken to you. And I'll be honest with you, that doesn't just go for people that you don't know. Even when we're here on Sunday morning and I'm ministering to you, it is your responsibility to make sure that I'm not filling you with nonsense. Now, I'm going to have to give an account one day for what I teach from the pulpit. So I'm very careful to, 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 to feel confident that I understand what the Scripture is saying. But on the other hand, if I say something, some nonsense up here, and you go and run with it, you're going to stand before God one day, and, and the excuse is not going to be, but Pastor Wayne said. That's not an excuse. 
Unless you just got saved that day, I don't think you have that. We have a responsibility to learn the Word, to know what's being, being, uh, what we're being taught. So even when I minister to you, you should be testing what I say. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. But that is also my job is to, to teach. As a pastor, my, my goal is to teach you the word. You should be testing it, but that's the other way. We, there's two ways that we learn the word of God is those who teach it to us and, and spending time on the word ourselves. And we have to be responsible for what we let in. And one of the, the best ways that you can do that is know your word. Because somebody's not going to be able to pull the wool over your eyes. If someone says, oh no, you're not saved by faith. You have, to, you, have to, you have to work to be saved. You have to do this, this, and this. You can go, well, here's where it says in Romans that we maintain that man is justified by, by faith alone. Or, or here's where it says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Or here's where it says that, that uh, uh, with the, 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 the heart one believes and with the mouth he confesses. And you begin to say, this doesn't say anything about works. It says everything to do about faith. But if you didn't know that, how would you, how would you counteract with somebody, especially when they're making a convincing argument? Amen? Amen? And the scripture says <clears throat> that some were listening to in, in irreverent babble and contradictions, which is falsely called knowledge, and for by, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. You know, if we will, one, know our word and be prepared to, to discern what is right, what is truth and what is not, and two, if we will be careful about what we let be ministered to us, if we will be responsible in this area in our lives, then we will not be found to have swerved from the faith. Amen? The next thing that we are responsible for is being transformed. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It seems like when I read this, there's two options that we have. We can be conformed to this world, or we can be transformed by the renewal of our mind. But the thing here is this be transformed, that's not a good suggestion. That's a commandment. Be transformed. Which means that, that we have some responsibility in this. Renewal of the mind does not happen by osmosis. I wish it did. I would just sleep on my Bible and we'd be good to go. If that's how it worked. I mean, I wish that's how it worked. Maybe me and God will have a talk one day about how he can make this a little easier. But... Every time I have those arguments with God, I never win, so don't get your hopes up. I think you're going to have to be responsible for it yourself. We have a responsibility to have our mind be renewed. And the way we do that, kind of piggybacking on what we just talked about, is by spending time in the Word. That's the only way to have your mind renewed. Because without the Word of God, without reading what He has to say about us, finding out who God is and who we are in Him, we can't know that we're forgiven, if not revealed to us by God and His Word. And the truth is, is this is more than just a, a book knowledge. There are many people that have read and know the Bible hand in hand, but if they don't have a revelation from the Holy Spirit of what actually is going on, it's just knowledge in their head. It's not revealed truth. And if we don't have that revealed to us by God, we can't know if we're forgiven. 
Matter of fact, if you didn't even read the scriptures, you wouldn't know that you were forgiven. We can't know that we're no longer a slave to sin. We are no longer a slave to sin. You wouldn't know that if you didn't read the Word. We can't know that we are free. We can't know that we're no longer bound by by death, but we're alive in Him. We couldn't know that we're victorious. We couldn't know that we are more than conquerors. We couldn't know that we were healed by His stripes. We couldn't know that the enemy no longer has power over us or no weapon formed against us shall prosper or that we can cast our cares on Him. We wouldn't know that we shouldn't be anxious for anything. And we wouldn't know that we don't have a spirit of fear. And we couldn't know how much we were loved if we didn't actually spend the time to read it in His Word and have the Holy Spirit speak to you and reveal that to you. None of these things can be known unless revealed by the Holy Spirit to you by hearing His Word. That's how our faith grows is by hearing His Word. What what does the Scripture say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. That's the the number one reason why we should all be spending time in our Word. And I I bet if you've been a Christian for a long time, you can tell a difference when you're not spending as much time in the Word as you normally would. I know I can. But the reality is, is that this is our responsibility. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to hold back. He's not going to say, nope, not today. I'm not going to give it to you today. But if we will spend the time hearing his voice, listening to his voice, he will reveal all those things I just talked about. One of the next great responsibilities that we need to take responsibility for is taking care of our family. And 1 Timothy 5, 3-4 says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. And in 1 Timothy 5, 8 it says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Do you know it's our responsibility to take care of our family? It's not the government's. It's not the church's responsibility to take care of our family. Now the reality is, is that, that it doesn't mean that the government's not going to do anything. We have stuff in place for people that really need help. And unfortunately... There's a lot of people that don't need help that are taking advantage of the government. And there's stuff in places in churches where we can help people that need it. But just because the church and the, and the government do those things doesn't mean it's their responsibility. Do you see the difference? The church is always going to be there to help people, to reach out. But the reality is, as the scripture said, is that it's, it's if, and when this is Paul dealing with Timothy about the widows. He says, you know what, don't just put them on the list just because their husbands died. If, if they have family, their family should be taken care of them, not the church. And he says, let them first learn to show godliness to their own house, household to make some return to their parents. It's the family's response. It's our responsibility to take care of our family. Even your mother-in-law. and the truth is the scripture here a little bit farther says if anyone does not provide for his relatives especially for the members of his own household he has denied the faith what does that mean that means that the reality is is if you know Christ his love should be flowing through you and if you're not willing to express love to your family then there is a disconnect somewhere 
But he says, and if you don't, you're worse than an unbeliever. Paul says that children should take, return and take care of their parents. You know, it's only, it's only natural. And I'm sure my kids are excited because I remember one day when I had to wipe their butts. Can you, guys, you guys can't wait, can you? <laughs> Don't worry. It won't be, that, won't be that bad. I mean, it might be that bad. I guess it depends. But yeah, we're supposed to take care of our parents. <laughs> I figure, I think what Paul's saying is, is they've been taking care of them for 18 years. The least they could do is take care of their parents for a while, right? But yeah, he says if we don't take care of our families, we're worse than unbelievers. That's pretty harsh words, isn't it? But don't get mad at me, I didn't write them. But then he goes on to say in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12, because there's a, there's a danger. How many know there's a danger when you read stuff like this? Because some people go, oh, they have to take care of me. That means I don't have to do anything. I can just sit on my butt and they're going to take care of me. But that's, that's not what is being portrayed here. Because in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12, it says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Just because we're supposed to take care of our family doesn't mean that they have a license to take advantage of you. There is a difference. Because the truth is, we have a responsibility to take care of ourselves. That means you, sometimes you've got to get a haircut and get a real job. And we also I believe that we have a responsibility to make sure that people aren't taking advantage of us as well. Because that's what's happening here. People were taking advantage of the generosity of the members of the church. And Paul's like, no, this isn't right. If they're not willing to work, then they don't have to eat. There, there's a responsibility to, to make sure that, that uh, people aren't taking advantage of you. And personally, we have to make sure that we're not taking advantage of anyone else. It's like the scripture says to bear one another's burdens, right? But then it says to examine your own work to make sure that, you're not, that everything you do is not on the shoulders of somebody else. That's highly paraphrased, the, the, uh, the Pastor Wayne version of the Bible. That's what it says, bear one another's burdens, but examine your own work to make sure that you're not taking advantage of somebody else. For ourselves, we need to make sure that we're providing for ourselves, be willing to earn a living and to not be a burden to others. We have a responsibility to not believe that we are owed something just because we exist. And the truth is, for others, we need to realize that we're not actually helping them when they're unwilling to help themselves. You guys have heard me say it before, but do you guys all know who Dave Ramsey is? He's a Christian financial counselor. One of the favorite things that he says is he talks about you know, people not uh, helping their kids or, or family members who are trying to take advantage. And he goes, you know what? That's not, they call it tough love, but that's not tough love. There's no such thing as tough love. That's just love. To, to make sure that people are standing on their own two feet. When you enable people, that's not showing them love. Amen? 
Next, when we are working, we need to make sure that we're working unto God. This is another responsibility we have. Colossians 3, 23-24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And Ephesians 6, 5-7 through 7 says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will to the Lord and not to man. It is our responsibility to work hard and be faithful, to be reliable. I've always believed that, that if we could put that we're Christians on our resume, that should, that should help us get into the door. Because we should have a reputation as Christians to be hard workers, to be reliable. It doesn't mean you're going to be the best, but it means that you are faithful, you're reliable, and you're going to be the best that you can be. I believe that, that, that when people see that you're a Christian, that that should be a, a boon. But unfortunately, uh, I don't think that's the case. So many of us Christians look so much like the world, you can't even tell the difference. And the truth is that doing a good job at work is more than just bringing home a paycheck. This attitude that I'm doing just enough to get by is, is a terrible attitude to have for anybody, but especially Christians. Because we should be working for God. Because we're serving the Lord Christ, even in our, our daily job. And it says, don't do it by the way of eye service either. You know what that means, not by way of eye service? That means that when the boss is looking, you're working hard, but as soon as he turns his back, you're back on YouTube again. Or Facebook. See how quick you can hit the, the browser minimize button so people don't see what you're doing. It says that we should be working all the time, doing the job that's expected of us all the time. And we work as though God is our employer. Have you ever had a boss that was just cared about his people, his, his employees passionately? They were amazing people to work for, and they always looked out for their employees. They had their employers back. Anybody ever work for somebody like that? I've, I've worked for people like that. that I, there was a guy when I was, in, uh, I was in high school, I was working at a restaurant. And uh, when he ended up leaving, I cried. And I'd just known the man for a few weeks. He had made that much of an impact on me because he cared about his people. And it wasn't about the bottom line. It wasn't about anything else. He cared about his people. And he gave us whatever we needed. He supported us. That's what God's like as your employer. Because he gave you everything. His life. His very son. And when the scripture says that that you are serving the Lord Christ when you're working, and we're working for God, unto God. We're working unto the person that has gave us everything. How could we not want to work to the best of our ability? How could we not want to please him after he's done so much for us? And I'm sorry, I'm going to try to get moving faster here. We've got a lot to get through. Uh, we also have, you know, you have a responsibility in healing. And James 5, 1 through 4 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And 1 Timothy 5, 23 says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and for your frequent ailments. Well, first, I want to make some things clear. Healing is yours by the stripes on Jesus' back. In 1 Peter 2, 24, the, uh, the, the end of that verse, it says, By his wounds you have been healed. 
And I've heard people argue, argue that, no, this is a quote to Isaiah 55, and Isaiah 55 is talking about the nation, which I agree. The, the, the prophecy in Isaiah 55 is referring to the nation, not necessarily individuals. But I also believe that you should use the Bible to, to interpret the Bible. And <clears throat> Matthew, and you can read Matthew 8, 16 through 17. You can look it up later. But basically, Matthew interpreted that scripture is individual healing because it said Jesus healed them all, thus fulfilling this prophecy in Isaiah 55. So I figure if Matthew interprets it as physical healing, then we're safe to do so as well, right? So by his stripes, we have been healed. And we've all been taught that if you come to this church for all, that's what you've been taught, that, that healing is ours by the perfect work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We receive his wholeness. But the truth is we also have a responsibility in that. And right here, one, it says, if anyone's among you sick, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. If you're not feeling well, after every service, I say, hey, I'd love to pray for anybody that wants to be prayed for. That's your opportunity to come up, and, and I can lay hands on you, and we'll pray for you. We're going to stand together believing that you are whole. We're going to stand in faith. And the problem is, is I think that sometimes we get this idea that, oh, what's bothering me is just too small. I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to bother the pastor, or even worse, I don't want to bother God. It's just a headache. But the truth is, there's no issue that's too small for God that he doesn't want to free you from. If you've got a headache, have somebody lay hands on you. It doesn't matter if it's cancer or, or, or the flu. God wants you to be whole. It was paid for all of it. Your body was bought with a price, and the devil has no claim over it. So let's stand for that, amen? Then he also goes on to say here, let them pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, there's a lot of theologians that have read this verse, and, and they believe that actually what they're talking about, is this is oil in, in a medicinal sense. Because oil was used, particularly in those days, to, 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 they put it on wounds to help with healing. They put it on everything to help with healing. So since here, anointing them with oil could quite possibly mean they were talking about, basically, get prayed for, and take some medicine. If you got a headache, get up there, get prayed for, take a Tylenol. You see, the problem is, is we have a lot of people that get uh, so hung up on religious stuff that, for instance, in Overland Missions, one of the, the missions that we support, they finally had to make it a requirement for mi- missionaries coming over. They have to take malaria medicine. It's not, it's not an option. And the reason is, is because they've had people die that said, no, I'm not going to take it. Well, you have malaria now. Let's take this. And it's super easy to cure. They can, they can take care of it. But they're like, no, we're trusting God, and we're not going to take this medicine. And they've died because of it, when God provided a way for them to be healed. It's like the man who, who was, uh, was sitting in his town, and, the, and the, a hurricane was coming in, and the, the waters began to rise in his city, so he climbed up on his roof. And while he was waiting up there, uh, before the waters rose too high, a, a, a Humvee came through, and the soldier said, hey, come get in the Humvee, we're going to save you. This place is going to flood. And he said, no, 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 my God's going to save me. So the Jeep drove off. And then the waters began to rise, and a boat comes through and says, sir, get in the boat, we can save you, we'll get you out of here. He says, no, 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 my God's going to save me. And the waters begin to rise, and it's up to the top of his roof. He's sitting on his roof, and a helicopter flies in. And they say, sir, get in the helicopter. We're going to save you. And he says, no, 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 my God is going to save me. And the waters continue to rise, and the, and the man drowned. And he got up to heaven, and he said, God, what happened? Why didn't you save me? And he says, I tried. I sent a jeep, I sent a boat, and I sent a helicopter. 
You know, sometimes we have a responsibility in this as well. That's what he says to Timothy here, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and frequent ailments. This is medicinal wine he's talking about. He's saying, you know what, if you've got a stomach ache, take some Pepto-Bismol. But the truth is, the, the problem that people run into is that we never want to get to a position where our faith is in Pepto, or our faith is in the doctor's hands. Our faith is in God to use whatever he would like to use to, to make his promise true in our life. Amen? If you have cancer, we're going to lay hands on you. We're going to believe God's going to destroy that, that cancer. But if the doctor says, take chemo, take chemo. How do you know that God's not going to use that to heal the cancer from your life, from your body? Because the truth is, is that, that the only reason these people know about this stuff, the only reason that drugs are developed, the only reason that surgical procedures are developed is because God's given somebody the knowledge to do these things. We trust God, but we use the tools that he's provided. Amen? We also have a responsibility to teach our kids. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way you should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your child, children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we see a couple things here. One, we're responsible for training up our child in the way that they should go. While they're in your house, it's your responsibility to teach them the ways of God, to teach them to be responsible young adults, to teach them the same things that we're talking about. You need to teach them personal responsibility, that you are responsible for stuff that happens in your own life. We need to teach them that they're not owed anything. That in this life, you have to work, you have to, to earn, you have to do those things. It's one of the things I hate about sports nowadays with the everybody gets a ribbon. It wasn't until my kids finally got in high school where winning actually mattered. How did it take that long to teach our kids that, that not everything in life is fair? Sometimes people win, sometimes people lose. And the truth is, it's not a bad thing. We need to teach our kids that life's not fair. And I tell you what, I, heard, I was listening to a song yesterday while I was preparing this message, and it had a line about life not being fair, and it was so profound. Because one of the things that we might take offense at is that life's not fair. Has anybody ever, for a moment, thought, why is this person getting this, and why not me? You know, I'm a Christian, I'm following God, and I'm barely making ends meet. And I see these rock stars and these superstars and, and sports guys, and they're doing all the wrong things, but it seems like they have everything. Like, man, life's just not fair. But what this song said is, the greatest thing about grace is that it's not fair. You hear what I'm saying? The greatest thing about grace is that it's not fair. The truth is, when we think about getting what we deserve, we only think about the good stuff. We don't ever think about the bad stuff that we deserve. And we also have a responsibility to discipline our children. That's actually one of the ways that we teach them. We let them know that there are consequences for their actions. That's the problem with kids that never get disciplined. They grow up and they, they get released into the world and they don't even know there's a consequence for the stuff that they're going to do. So whoever spares the rod hates his son. You know, if you don't discipline your child, you hate your child. Those are tough words. 
I like in Proverbs twenty three thirteen it says this, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. <laughs> but then it also goes on to say we have more instructions. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The truth is, is that we also have to be very careful that we're not being jerks to be jerks as parents. We need to, to recognize that, that, that everything that we do to discipline our child should be with the outcome for them to, be, to, to grow and not just to, to stick it to them. We have a responsibility. That's, being a parent is a large responsibility. Guess what? Kids got responsibilities too. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Man, you guys just missed a huge amen. I figured all the parents would have been like, Amen, amen. Start singing and laughing, man. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Yeah, children need to obey their parents. Because the truth is, your parents just want the best for you. You guys, you guys hear what I'm saying? We just want the best for you. Even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it. But that's why we do the things that we do. Because we want you to grow up and be ready to live in this world. The scripture says, children obey your parents. And it says, for this is right. And then he says, honor your father and mother. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise. It's interesting. The first commandment that receives a promise on the back end of it is to children. And he says that if you will grow up and obey your parents, it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. But if you don't, life's going to be tough. And the reason for that is because we're trying to teach you some things. Next, we have a responsibility not to be a stumbling block. In Romans fourteen thirteen through 15, it says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. We have a responsibility to our brethren, to the people that we walk alongside every day. And we're to be an encouragement, not a hindrance. If we know that someone is struggling with someone, we need to make sure that we're not the ones setting them up for failure. You know, an example of this you'll see in, in the regular everyday world. I remember when I tried to quit smoking and I had friends that would always offer me cigarettes. It's like, boneheads, I'm trying to quit smoking. Quit trying to give me a cigarette. And it's always stuff like that. Or like right now, the guy that I told that uh, I'm going to give the computer to, he's telling me he's going to bring coffee and donuts every day. He's trying to set me up for failure. Well, we're not supposed to be a stumbling block to our brothers. I'm going to have to get them saved and then preach to them. See, what's going on here is the Jews had a list of foods that were unclean. If you look in, in Leviticus, there's clean, clean uh, foods and there's, there's non-clean foods. And what is happening here is, is some Jews that were relatively new uh, converts to Christianity, they still have all the baggage 
of the law still tied to them. They're still struggling. They're still working out their own salvation in that manner. And they're, they're, they're trying to, to come to grips with it. And there's some people that have been Christians for a long time, and they're like, no, we get it. We understand that, that we can eat whatever we want. Well, what Paul's saying is, if you're eating with one of those people that are still struggling with that, when you eat that in front of them, then you're actually being a stumbling block to them. You're causing their conscience to be in turmoil. You're, you're causing a problem for them. And that's not godly. That's not loving. But Paul says here, I'm convinced that, that nothing is unclean in of itself. So the Christian that is convinced that, that eating a certain food is unclean, like I'm convinced that I can have me some pork and some ham, it's not a sin for me. But if for whatever reason you're not convinced, then it is a sin for you. And the problem is, is that for somebody that's having trouble that's not convinced yet, if we were to, to invite them over for Christmas dinner with a big old honey ham, then we're, we're causing a problem for them. We're causing them to stumble. And we have a responsibility to not do those things. He says, in this particular case, by what you eat, do not destroy the one from whom Christ died. What that means is, is that sometimes we need to give up some of our liberties for the sake of somebody else. Amen? In Matthew 12, 36-37, it says that we're going to be accountable for the words we speak. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You know, our words should always be uplifting and caring, encouraging. Our words should always build up and never tear others down. And we're responsible for the words that we speak. I think we're going to have to give an account for some of the dumb things that we've said. Scripture here says that We'll give an account for every careless word they speak. This is talking about small talk. This is the little stuff. This is the, the stuff when, you, when you, you think that nobody, you know, no one's really paying attention. And the thing about our small talk is if God cares about even that, how much more are deliberate words, the words that we've carefully planned? And our small talk comes... You know, the small talk, the stuff that you speak every day when you're not really paying attention, you're not focused, that's, that's out of that is your character. That's who you are. Matthew 12, 34-35 says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So the reality is, if we're saved, if we're righteous, if we're forgiven... And you are those things if you know Jesus. Then only words befitting of one who is such should come out of our mouth. Amen? James 4.17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We also have a responsibility to do the right thing. Not only are we to abstain from doing what's wrong, to abstain from sin, the reality is is that, that even not doing the right thing is sin. And this is a tough one because it means just standing idly by is not an acceptable solution. God put you here for a purpose. He has a plan for your life. He has something that you were called to do. And this means that we're to live out God's call on our lives and live out His will for our lives. 
And what it means is that it's not acceptable to just sit on our blessed assurance, assurance just waiting for the day to come. We've got a job to do, people. And it's our responsibility to do it. Because, and I want you to know that if you come to a church like this, you know the right thing to do. I know what churches like this teach. Which means we have a responsibility to do that right thing. Amen? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You know that you have a responsibility to be unafraid. I was just thinking this morning as I was listening to a different, uh, a different message, completely unrelated, but he was talking about fear. And I started thinking about all the times that I've read in the Bible that, that either God or an angel or somebody said, don't be afraid. And I think I might have to count how many times that's in the Scripture. Because when I'm thinking about it, I think I've seen it an awful lot. Do not be afraid. Did you know we were made to be courageous? We were made to stand fearless. Not because we don't have a reason to be afraid. God doesn't say, I've not given you a spirit of fear and there's no reason for you to be afraid. He just says, I've not given you a spirit of fear. He just says, don't be afraid. But rather because God is with us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? It's like when... uh, uh, was it Elisha and Gaza something? What's his name? What's that? Gehazi, yeah. Uh, he was standing there, and Elijah finally says, open his eyes, because he was afraid. They're getting ready to attack the city. They're severely outnumbered. And he's like, Elijah, what are we doing? We're going to get killed. And Elijah just prays, God, open his eyes. And when his eyes were opened, he saw that God was with them. And they saw chariots of fire and angels. And he realized that they weren't outnumbered. And that he had no reason to be afraid. Because God was with them. And that's, I, that's why God tells us not to have a sin. But I didn't give you a spirit of fear. is because he is with us. It's not that there's not scary stuff out there. Lord knows there is. But it doesn't matter. He has given us a spirit of power and of love, and of self-control. You know, perfect love casts out all fear. His love for us. It's like when you, were a, when you were a kid and you were afraid of the dark, and you'd ask your mom or your dad to come in, and they just had to, they just had to hold you, and you were okay. It wasn't that it wasn't still dark, but it's their love for you made you feel safe. And His love for us ensures that we don't have to be afraid. All right. And we're going to end up right here. And Psalms 90.12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You know, we have a responsibility to do what God has called us to do in the time that he's given us to do it. Our days are limited and we have work to do. We have stuff to do. And it's our responsibility to go out there and not put off for tomorrow, what God has given us to do for today. Procrastination is a terrible thing. And the reality is, and I, I know this from experience, I'm a terrible procrastinator. If you don't believe me, I don't even write this message till tomorrow. <laughs> I, I procrastinate horribly all the time. And uh, the truth is, is that, that 
it's our responsibility to do what God has us to do. And we only have a certain amount of days on this earth to accomplish what God has for us to accomplish. And I know I, for one, never want it to be said that somebody else had to do what God gave for me to do. I mean, can you imagine? One day we're going to give an account to Jesus. And it's not a heaven or hell thing. If you, if you know Jesus, you're going to heaven. But you're still going to have to give an account for what you did with the time that you have. And can you imagine if he said, hey, somebody else had to do what I wanted you to do? That would be heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. But the good news is, is that doesn't have to be what we hear. You see, that's the thing we talked about last week, that I wanted these two messages to be challenging. I wanted them to be convicting. I asked Joseph how last week, how last week went, and he said, just, just the right amount of humor. He said, because a scalpel is more effective with anesthesia. <laughs> you see, the idea is, is we're, we're to be convicted, not condemned, but convicted to realize that we have a responsibility. And if you've already been taking responsibility in your life, then great, continue doing that. That's what God would have you to do. That's godly. And if there's an area in your life that the Holy Spirit has pointed out to you that, that uh, this is an area maybe that we need to, to straighten out, then that's the difference between conviction and condemnation because the devil says, you're going to hell because you don't got this right. And the Holy Spirit says, let's take care of it. Holy Spirit says, you know what? For every one of these areas in your life, Jesus was enough. In Him, you are victorious. You are a conqueror. You are an overcomer. In Him, you are strong. That's what Paul said. He said that, uh, he said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because the Holy Spirit was empowering Him. So this morning, I want to challenge us to be a people who understand that our time is limited here on this earth. But I also want to challenge us to be a people who take responsibility for how we live in this life and what we do with it. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to your feet.